So this was October. I drove on my own to Utah, which is a long drive. It was horrible. Did you tell anyone that you knew where you were going? I only told Sally. Where did you tell your family that you were going? Just that I was going to Vegas for the weekend. It took like, with stopping, it took like 12 hours to get there. I'm thinking about all this stuff as I'm alone driving. Like, why am I doing this? I'm crazy. What if my car breaks down? I'm like alone, it's kind of scary. And I left really early because I didn't want to drive. I didn't want to be in anywhere remote, like in the dark. But by the time I got there, it was dark. Did you feel out of control? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. I guess I was out of control. But I was like, yes, I'm doing the right thing. It's, it's, I don't feel scared. I am Mormon now. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc. And if you make a big deal out of my name, then we're not going to be friends. See what I did there? This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we are speaking to you, then please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and rate us with five stars. Write us a nice review if you like what you hear. I promise it is not the pain in the ass that you think it is, and it will really help us find an audience. Particularly on Apple iTunes, the Purple Podcast app would be great. Thanks. This is Mormon Curiosity Part 2, folks. Part 2. If you did not listen to last week's episode, then go now, because you have found yourself here, right smack dab in the middle of Bobby's epic, everyday journey towards making his necessary delusion a reality. And just to remind you from last week, Bobby is an actor in Los Angeles who found himself frustrated with his career, with his relationships, or lack thereof, but ultimately... Bobby was frustrated with not being able to see his place in it all, which led him to his necessary delusion, which is simply to be accepted, to find his people or person, to find his sense of belonging. Or maybe I'm just complicating things and he wants a girlfriend. And although Bobby has chosen to do this by joining the Church of Latter-day Saints while secretly pursuing a girl or two along the way, we have all walked our own version of this necessary delusion earth monster. For instance, when I was in seventh grade, this very cool punk kid, Jeremy, asked me if I liked Marilyn Manson, and I didn't know who that was, but Jeremy wore scary t-shirts and spiky bracelets, so obviously I wanted to impress him, and I was like, yeah, I love Marilyn Manson, she's so hot, but then Jeremy was like, no, you obviously don't even know who Marilyn Manson is, but then I couldn't let go of the lie, and I was like, "Uh uh-huh, I have the CD. I had put together, we were talking about music through context clues. And Jeremy was like, oh, really? You have the CD? Great. Bring it in and show me. And I was like, okay. So then I tried to go buy the CD, but my mom wouldn't let me buy it because it was Marilyn Manson and I was 12. And so Jeremy would just ask me every day, hey, where's that Marilyn Manson CD? And every day I would just pretend like I had the worst memory ever. Every day. Also, it was like 1996, and so I didn't even have the internet to look up Marilyn Manson. Jeremy and I never really made that friendship happen. 
Anyway, the point is, we have all been there. We last left Bobby driving 12 hours on his way to Salt Lake City, Utah, to attend a conference for the Church of Latter-day Saints. He told everyone he knew he was going to Vegas for the weekend. None of them knew that he had been baptized and was technically Mormon now. And to make it just a little bit more complicated, Bobby was more interested in visiting his secret crush, the missionary Jenny, who he'd been writing letters with for a year. But Jenny thinks they're just friends. As he's driving, the double life that he's created starts to weigh hard on him, and he's feeling out of control. Here's Bobby. I literally, I guess I was out of control. Even though a different kind of out of control from, like, you know, like drugs or drinking, but it was still out of control, I guess. So I got this hotel. I got there Friday night, and I was going to leave Monday morning. So I got there, I just went to sleep, and then I picked up Jenny in the morning, she got me this bag of snacks and water, which I thought was kind of cute. <laughs> I was like, thank you. This seemed to calm him down. She was the big reason he'd come. She might have been the only reason, driving all this way. I'd say 50-50. That's 50-50, assuming that he's being honest with himself. Delusion! Jenny was friendly, and the thoughtful gift of snacks had given him some confidence. I was like, okay, this is good at least. But then it's like awkward. I don't know what to talk about. Well, we're talking about going to the conference thing. So we get there, and then it's nice, you can take pictures and walk around. So we were doing that, and we took a picture, and I put my arm around her, and she didn't, like, recoil or anything, so I was like, okay, it's going okay. People from all over the world come. Like, it's crazy. Even there was people there from, like, Nigeria. I was like, yes, I'm doing the right thing. I don't feel scared. I'm enjoying spending time with Jenny. Whatever I was scared about in the drive, it's okay now. Like, it was all worth it. This was all before the conference even started. He actually ran into someone he knew. The hot missionary guy was also there. We ran into him, and he was asking me about everything. And he's like, how's Sally doing? I said, oh yeah, I don't think she's ready yet. I said, ready? Like, <laughs> I feel gross that I said it like that, remembering that. But yeah, I said that. Why do you think it felt gross? I don't know. It just seems like... Like, oh, like, I know, like, I decided to do this thing, but then, like, I'm judging when people are ready or not. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so we go in, and we're sitting in the place, like I said, it's huge. Like, it's hard to describe how big it is, but think of, like, a baseball stadium, but, like, inside. Like, that big, massive. I'm wearing a suit and tie. She's wearing a dress. Our seats were, like, down in the front, kind of. But, I mean, there were seats, like, up high. And so we're sitting down, just waiting for it to start. I don't feel good. He starts to feel sick. Maybe he's lightheaded from the altitude, or maybe it's anxiety. Feeling overwhelmed by the massive reality of his necessary delusion realized? In my experience, anxiety can usually walk that fine line. Is this real? Is this physical? Or can I let go of this feeling by changing my thinking? Bobby wasn't sure. I don't know if I'm really tired from the drive. My heart was kind of feeling weird. I felt a little nauseous. And I don't want to tell her because, I don't know. <clears throat> it did kind of pass, but yeah, I think it might have been altitude. Delusion! But I was, like, so tired also. I was falling asleep <laughs> during the thing, and so I felt embarrassed. But um, she was kind of, like, joking about it. So the conference, there's, like, the guys talk. Then the, there's the, have you heard of the Tabernacle Choir? Yeah, they sing. The Tabernacle Choir is a 360-member chorus made up of men and women. The organization has been together for over a century, performing all over the world. They were originated when the Latter-day Saints moved to Salt Lake Valley in 1847, according to Wikipedia. So needless to say, they're kind of a big deal. 
it's like when you see a celebrity and you're like, oh, that there's that guy. Well, I learned all about these people, and then I'm like, oh, there's the guy, the prophet. I was too much thinking about everything to really focus on the actual conference. I was thinking about not feeling good, not falling asleep, and then also being with Jenny. So there was too much going on to really focus on the conference. Just a side note, this sort of describes the feeling I have whenever I have to wear a suit and sit somewhere formal where there's pressure to act appropriately. Anyone? Probably got there at like 9.30, 10 in the morning, and we were done with the, the conference thing probably by like 4. Like toward the end, I started to like, okay, I gotta snap out of this. Then that ended, and we went out, and we were like, let's go get something to eat. And then so I just went on Yelp, and I found a pizza place, and we went there. And, and that was kind of, it was kind of nice, just like hanging out with her. We were just talking a little bit, and I'm thinking like, okay, so what's going to happen after this? Like, are we going to still hang out? Is this like Pizza Hut that you're at, or you're at like a mom-and-pop pizza shop? No, it's like a hipster. There's like some hipster areas in, in Salt Lake. You know, pieology? Kind of like that, maybe. How's the pizza? It was good. I think I had, like, a pepperoni. She had cheese. And then after we ate, she's like, okay, well, I better want to just drop me off at home. And in my mind, I'm like, really? It wasn't that late. So it was probably by, like, like six at this point. And I'm like, you know, I had nothing. That's the ego, yeah. I came all the way here to see you, and we're not going to, like, hang out more? I don't know. We can do anything. Just, like, it's 6 o'clock. <laughs> we're not 80, but I am Mormon now, so there's rules. So he dropped her off at home and went back to the hotel. He was staying at a corporate chain, not as nice as the pictures. They had a good deal. That's why I stayed there. But it, it kind of had a dirty feel to it, and so it was kind of that kind of grossed me out a little bit. I don't know. I'm very, like, OCD about stuff like that. It was just the whole room. It just... The kitchen thing felt like, I don't know if it was the paint, but it just felt like it hadn't been cleaned properly. Like, I wouldn't have used any of that stuff. Yeah, the carpeting, I don't know, it had a smell to it. The shower was kind of gross. Not exactly the fantasy trip to Utah he'd been imagining. And it was still early. The day was good, but then the thoughts came back. What am I doing here? I'm now in a hotel room alone. Like, there's nothing to do. I don't know anyone here other than her. And then part of me is like, should I call her right now and be like, let's go somewhere? But, like, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. But anyway, yeah, so I ended up just, I watched a Dodger game because it was the playoffs. So I brought my laptop and I just watched that. If it's not coming across, he was pretty disappointed. Given that he'd been dozing all day during the conference and wasn't able to connect spiritually with any of the material, it was becoming more and more apparent that the driving motivation of this trip was quality time with Jenny, which, in my estimation, still keeps him fully engaged with his necessary delusion. But now here he was alone in a crappy hotel, 12 hours from home, lying to everyone he knew, watching baseball on his laptop. He went to sleep early. He still had a full day of conferencing the next morning with Jenny picked her up the next morning for part two of the conference and I felt better still wasn't really getting anything spiritual still the whole thing was overwhelming and I was thinking like wow I've only got a couple more hours with her I feel like she's not going to want to hang out after or if she does it's not going to be very long and so after the conference I was like so you want to get something to eat she's like I'm good I'm like great it's earlier it's like four I mean I am planning to leave very early the next morning but still and so, I don't know, I had written a letter and I and I was planning to give it to her about how I felt. But it, I don't know, it just didn't, you know when those things just don't feel right? It just didn't feel right. Delusion! And so I didn't. 
And so, yeah, I dropped her off. It's kind of sad. It was like, I don't know when I'm going to see her again, if I'm going to see her again. We had this whole thing, letter writing thing, maybe, that was just in the moment of her mission, and now that's gone, and she's kind of moved on, or whatever. I felt like she genuinely, like, cared for me, and wanted to, you know, keep in touch with me. I didn't feel like it was part of her plan to, like, suck me in. But I did feel like if there was anything, she had moved on. Or maybe it was just a friendly thing, I don't know. Bobby drove slow back to her house, his mind racing. I got out and gave her a hug. I was like, well, hopefully see you again. I don't know, it was very weird. Like, I felt like I was upset about it, but I didn't feel like she was. <laughs> Maybe she was. Who knows? But it, I read nothing on her face that felt, like, upset or sad. He got back in the car. The bulky envelope of the last unread letter for her made a shape in the pocket of his slacks as he buckled the seatbelt. And as he pulled away from the house, that feeling started to come back. That voice in his mind started to speak. She doesn't even care. Why did you come here? So you think you're going to be Mormon now? Is that supposed to fix everything? He couldn't go back to the stinky hotel room already. It was way too early for that. I wasn't really in the mood to eat, but I had to do something. So I went to Ikea. You heard that right. He went to the Swedish furniture chain, Ikea. Because I do like their meatballs. Yeah, I'm walking through Ikea in a suit and tie, and then I go to the cafeteria. Every Ikea looks the same, smells the same. Bobby has one in his neighborhood back in L.A. And it might sound like the most random place to find himself in this moment, but it made sense. It was just a little corporate fantasy to play pretend he was home. He walked past the familiar mock living room setups and followed the gray cement path with the arrows pointing the way towards the cafeteria. He navigated his way around the red-headed mom with the two towering shopping carts and three ginger kids, past the preppy couple in their 20s who had obviously just moved in together. He snaked his way through the silver railings of the food line and found his tray of meatballs. It wasn't crowded on a Saturday evening. Holding all of his stress in the face and a tray of food in front of him, he found a cozy place to sit under the familiar fluorescent lights to eat. And I'm just eating alone, pathetic in a suit and tie, heartbroken, (laughs) like, dejected, knowing that I had to drive all the way back to L.A. the next day, and it was going to be a long, lonely drive. (laughs) Bobby, I'm feeling like on this trip, you're pretty comfortable when she's around, and then it seems like the rest of the time you're almost on the verge of having a panic attack. Yeah, pretty much. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Because it's like, I've only ever traveled with people. And this wasn't really about traveling. It was about seeing someone, mostly. I don't feel comfortable in this state. I don't know anyone. Also, nobody that you know knows that you're there. Yeah, that's the other thing. So that's like probably creating some anxiety, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because like, yeah, if something happened, and then be like, why were you in Utah? Yeah, you're right. You're like living this almost like weird double life for the weekend. It was actually more than just the weekend. It was this whole Mormon adventure. It occurs to me how much pressure we put ourselves under. No one had made him do any of this. This trip was his idea. It was just an idea he got hung up on and couldn't let go of. And for as random as this Ikea moment feels, I find myself weirdly relating to it, like I've done the same thing. It's just a blatant nod to all of the unconscious ways that we take care of ourselves. 
It's kind of like, am I really here right now in this Ikea in Utah? I was questioning, like, if I made the right decision or... And, um, yeah, I was really, like, wondering what I had done. Stay tuned for the rest of the story, but first, let's go to a conversation I had with my best friend, your necessary delusional shrink, Marcus Silverman, coming to us from his office in the West Village of Manhattan. Let me look this up. I wonder if this would be interesting to you. So is this Valiant? Yeah, Valiant. So there are four levels of, of defense mechanisms. The first level, which is the lowest level, is, is psychotic, which is psychotic denial, delusional projection. The second level, which is like slightly, is called immature, which is fantasy, projection, passive aggression, acting out. The third level of defenses are the neurotic defenses, which you and I will be very familiar with. Intellectualization, reaction formation, dissociation, displacement, repression. And level four, which is the tippy top, is mature defenses, humor, sublimation, suppression, altruism, anticipation. So this isn't my idea. I mean, delusions are the very bottom of the defense mechanism pyramid. And their psychotic denial is literally the first one that he talks about. For our purposes, I think a necessary delusion, in my opinion, sort of umbrellas all of that. That you right. just said. Well, I think you're using in, in Freud's system of the mind. It's basically like their uncomfortable thoughts and our ego filters out those uncomfortable thoughts by doing all the things I've just listed from like laughing about them and sublimating them to like being in psychotic denial about them. So it's like in, in that way, delusion is like he talks about like that the mind is constantly like defending against unpleasurable feeling. So if I really want to be a baseball player and what are the odds that I'm going to be a professional baseball player, my mind will sort of like filter my ability to think about that thing in a particular way. So I'll either laugh about the impossibility of being a ball player and play anyway, or I'll tell everyone I'm a baseball player and believe at the bottom of the, my heart I am when I'm really like a garbage man and I'll be fucking psychotic. So there's like a huge continuum of how people like understand those delusions. But yeah, defenses in some ways is like, ironically, I mean, sort of like a, a less pathological because everyone's defended. I'm defended against so many things in my life and I use these different mechanisms to like make sense of my world. I mean, people are defended against like different political opinions, like the th anything where someone hears something and they immediately have to divert that thought, which is like a sort of a threatening thought into like, oh, well, all those people are crazy. That's why I believe that. I mean, that's also a necessary delusion. Like every single thing you don't agree with, every single thing that doesn't perfectly fit into your mold of the world in your terminology is like a delusion. Like it gets, it needs to be situated somewhere else. Like Freud sort of creates this system where there's like my mind, everything that agrees with my perception of the world is good. And everything that sort of happens outside my perception of the world, I need to like contextualize somehow or defend against. Right. Yeah. So the term necessary delusion as we're using it is, is really just more like clever branding than anything. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's nothing technical about it. It actually is going against this sort of um, like actual definition of a delusion. Well, I think what's sort of sophisticated about it, and we talked about this a long time ago when we were kicking this idea around in its infancy, is that if I don't know any of these entrepreneurs that wind up selling some dumb fucking thing and making a billion dollars, it's like, what is the moment that something goes from being delusional, which is psychotic? Like, you know, I'm Jeff Bezos and I'm starting Amazon in my garage. And I'm sure plenty of people like Jeff Bezos is a fucking loser and he's never going to amount to anything. I mean, he's still a fucking loser, but he has amounted to like a lot. And like, you know, like, 
at what point are people like, oh, you you did like you you were crazy for wanting to do this or you're delusional or that's never going to happen. And then what is the moment? It's almost impossible to articulate where it goes from being a thing that's like impossible to imagine to like, oh, no, you're actually doing it. So now it's not delusional. In some ways, the better thing to figure out is what happens to a necessary delusion like realized. What happens to a necessary delusion realized? Marcus is a firecracker, huh, guys? And whereas Marcus is an actual certified psychoanalyst in real life, he's agreeing to talk to us here in a very informal way. So just a heads up, we're shooting the shit, okay? This isn't like formal therapist advice for you. It's food for thought. We are back. We last left Bobby heartbroken and eating meatballs in an Ikea in Utah. How could you forget? Here he is. So the next morning, I just wanted to get out of there. So I set my alarm for 4 a.m. The drive back, I think I was just thinking about getting back, so I wasn't thinking too much about the trip. At that moment, I just wanted to bolt. It was very unsettling, except when I was with her, it was okay. But the other times, it was, I don't know, it was weird. And then I remember when I finally got to Las Vegas, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm almost like it's home in a way because it's like so close to home. He likes Vegas. He's been there a bunch of times. He doesn't really gamble, though. Honestly, I just like the atmosphere of it. I just went to uh, In-N-Out. Nice. Probably some more comfort food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Familiarity. Yeah. Double, double, no tomatoes, um, raw onions, fries, Diet Coke. I got home and I just felt relief to be home to be out of that weird place. What is the first thing that you do when you return home from a trip like this? Bobby went straight to his favorite chair for a think. It's a recliner, kind of big, it's brown, it's soft. It's one of those electric ones, so you can just put your feet up. Just kind of like trying to process what just happened. He's been living with his older sister and her family for the past few years. So everybody was home when he got home, asking how Vegas went. How was it? What'd you do? I'm like, oh, you know, it's... Vegas stuff. So you're lying. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think I just said I did, did a little bit of gambling, but didn't make, win anything. I felt bad. Like maybe they could have been like, help me or like talk me through it. Or I, I thought they would just be like, why would you do that? Afraid they were going to judge me and then afraid they were going to say, you do know you joined a cult, which I kind of deep down, like I, I was feeling more pressure, more judgment, totally self-generated. But I was still under that delusion that this was meant to happen because of the, the weird way in which it all happened. I don't know why I don't feel comfortable sharing certain things with them. I was missing Jenny and I was like messaging her, but I don't know, nothing really, like there was nothing that like literally, yeah, it was delusion. There was nothing there or there might've been at one point during the letter writing phase, but whatever was there was gone. Was she messaging you back? Yeah, but not like passionately. Yeah, not passionately, not wanting to know about what I'm up to or anything like that, really. And so I was I was pretty beat down. The pattern that I hear Bobby describe about his trip was that when he was spending time with Jenny, taking pictures at the conference and eating pizza, his fantasy was alive. These things supported his story. Maybe they were falling in love. And it felt good. But when she went home early and she didn't show interest and he ended up eating meatballs in a furniture store, these things went against his story, against his fantasy. And eventually, he couldn't ignore the stark reality. She did post a picture of us on Instagram. So I was like, okay, well, maybe. (laughs) 
But no, but nothing... <laughs> that's when the delusion came back. Delusion! But then, yeah, but nothing, uh... Nothing really happened. So I still thought, well, I, I made this decision. I'm all in. I'm just going to go with it for now. And I'd go every week to church. And it's long. It's like they have a three-hour church where it's broken up. You have the regular session. And then there's the Sunday school part where they separate the kids and the adults. And the kids and the adults have different Sunday schools. And then there's a third part where they separate the men and the women. And for the men, it's called priesthood. And for the women, it's called Relief Society. Between church and church events, he was staying pretty busy with his secret faith. Sally wasn't really around these days. She was becoming distant. Somewhere along the line, Bobby met up with an old co-worker from the Wax Museum for lunch. She was like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell you. Because I felt like it was safe at that point. And then and she was like, oh, that's great. You know, it's your uh, journey. So I kind of felt like, okay, it's okay if I tell people this. I posted a picture of my baptism thing on my Facebook. It was a big step after all this time, but he didn't write anything by the picture. He says he just assumed everyone would know what it was. We both agreed that was a bit of a leap. A photo of Bobby wearing an all-white jumpsuit, standing in a bathtub with a hot guy in his 20s wearing a tie. My best guess would have been that he was shooting a sketch, but his family put it together, and they confronted him about it. My sister, she's like, oh, I saw your picture, your baptism, and then she's like, oh, so you're a Mormon now? I don't know. She was joking about it, but I think she was probably concerned. They said what I thought they would say. They're like, you know, you should just, you don't want to be brainwashed. Make sure it's, you're not in a cult or anything like that. The whole thing is weird. It sounds like you kind of didn't know yourself how to stand behind what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was always kind of going with, like, this was meant to be... The way this happened, it has to be real. But yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with it or how to talk about it. But he wasn't done with it either. After you've been in for a year, you can apply for a temple recommend, they call it, so you could go into the temple. There's a difference between churches and temples. To go into a temple, you need special permission. He was still curious. And um, so I did that, and I got it, and then so I went to the temple it's a whole ceremony. You have to wear this, like, white clothing and, like, a weird head thing. And, like, you go into, like, three rooms and they're, like, telling you the story of Adam and Eve. It's like you're reliving that. The last part is you go through this room and it's like what it'll be like when you die. You pass through the veil and then you see you're reunited with your family and that's because that's what they believe. Bobby says this experience is one of the things that started to turn him off. He began feeling a divide between the faith's beliefs and his own. You start reading about Joseph Smith, and he basically was a Freemason, and the ceremony is basically was a Freemason ceremony that he crafted into whatever. He was like a polygamist, and he slept with underage girls and all this like weird stuff, and then the racist history of the church, like, they wouldn't allow African-American men to be members of the priesthood until like 1978, which is crazy. Yeah, so that started pulling me out. All of this information was available to him from the beginning. The only difference was that at that point, it didn't work with his story. I'm not faulting him. I do this stuff all the time. The point is, we choose what to believe. Mormonism is very like, you have to fit into a very specific mold to be a part of it. You have to be straight, family-oriented, and want a lot of kids, and and very much like old-fashioned gender roles. The man's going to be the breadwinner, and the women are going to take care of the kids type of thing. I don't think I fit other than being straight. Um, like, 
I don't have a great job, so I couldn't be a breadwinner. At this point in my life, I, I don't really want kids. I feel like they don't say you have to have kids, but I feel like it's like expected kind of. But even though he knew this probably wasn't the place for him, it was hard to let go of the fantasy. I was meeting people there, and they were nice, and they were inviting me to like have dinner and stuff. And, and some of the talks I was like inspired, I'm like, yeah, you just got to like have faith. And if you do, things will start changing. And I was getting more auditions, so I was like, yeah, see, I, t- I, <laughs> I, told, I told you. I told myself this would happen. Delusion. There were always missionaries at the church, and with both Sally and Jenny out of the picture, pretty soon, Bobby met another girl he thought he was interested in. And then that kind of kept me going for a while, just to see this one person. The new Jenny. The new Jenny. And then they give people jobs in the church. They call it callings. And I got a calling to work with the young men. So at first I was like, oh, wow. I felt like I was being an example to them. You know, they're teenagers, so we had to, like, tell them, like, you know, to be good or whatever. He felt kind of flattered at first, like he could be a mentor to them. But then he started to consider how he would have felt if he was a teenager in the group. He considered the morals that he was supposed to be embodying. I started, like, feeling like I would hate this. What if, like, one of them was, like, you know, having feelings of that maybe they're, you know, they're gay, and then that church wouldn't support that. They flat out say they don't. And that's when I started to, like, feel like, no, this isn't right. Because they preach about, like, we're all striving to be like Jesus, and he's this perfect guy and everything. Well, like, he wouldn't exclude people (laughs) if he was this perfect person that you say he is. Not only did this go against Bobby's personal beliefs about equal rights, but it directly ties into his necessary delusion. Here he was joining this group to find a sense of belonging himself, only to realize that their invitation was not about accepting you for whoever you are, but rather welcoming you to adjust to their mold. I guess I admire that I committed, I followed through and committed to it, and it felt right at the time, and so I admire that I rolled with it, but ashamed that I did do it because it went against a lot of things I believed, and ashamed that I didn't let more people in on it. Maybe they could have helped me through it better. He ended up leaving the faith. At first, he wasn't sure how. He was so tightly involved at that point. To do the young men's thing, that was another day of the week. It was Wednesdays or something, and so that was just another day Like, I had to deal with all this. For a couple of Sundays, I was filming something, so I couldn't go. And that's when I started to think, oh, this could be my out, kind of. He started drifting again, softly beginning to look for his next group to join. I hadn't been in just a regular acting class in a while, and I wanted to. And then I started meeting new people there, and, like, they all smoke and drink, you know, like most normal people. And it's like, so you're saying they're bad? Like, I don't know. And it, it all started, like, coming in. It all started making me realize that I've been on this weird, almost drug trip for almost two years, and it's like, wow, I'm now seeing what what I've been doing. In the end, he ghosted. Are you surprised? He didn't feel good about it. You've been there. I do feel kind of bad about it, but I, I kept, like, making excuses, like, I can't come today or I can't help with the thing, but I don't know. I just felt like that was my only way out, and I, if I, if I had communicated with them, I know they're going to try and, like, suck me back in, and I don't want that. Ironically enough, Sally ended up ghosting on him. Sally kind of ghosted me, um, and I don't know if it was because of the Mormon thing. It could have been, but yeah, Sally just ended up ghosting me one day, and I did try and, I tried to reach out several times, but no response. He still messages with Jenny sometimes. It's not like before, or maybe it is friendly. She'll message me sometimes, 
occasionally. I mean, I haven't lost touch with her, but yeah. And what about the hot missionary? No, I haven't heard from him. <laughs> He's like, whatever happened to Bobby? So comfortable in that warm pool. Yeah, right. <laughs> so warm. <laughs> There's one more thing we kind of skipped over. Maybe you know this about the Church of Latter-day Saints. They dropped the tithing bomb because they don't do the collection plates, which at first I thought, oh, that's really nice. But no, they're like, yeah, you give 10% of your, your income, whatever that is, and it goes to the temples and it goes to the church buildings and you'll see blessings. That's what they say. You'll see blessings by giving your salary. I did give them some money, yeah. Another thing I'm ashamed about. <laughs> I'm not here to shame you, man. I'm here to celebrate you. He's working on being more conscious now, more focused on the things that he wants to bring into his life, more specific about what those things are. I have been focusing a lot on career and writing and thinking of what I really want to do, and so that, that's been good. I've been a, very focused, a lot more focused than I ever have been. I want to support myself with my art. Maybe he's also discovered that finding acceptance isn't entirely reliant on joining a group. He started a new video series recently called Phantom of the Real World. It combines his first love in the theater, the Phantom of the Opera. I thought about playing the Phantom one day, but I'm not a singer. And it places him in the real world. Bobby still can't sing, but he has found a way to make his childhood dream happen on his own terms. You can follow Phantom of the Real World on Instagram at Phantom of the Real World, where Bobby will be delivering regular short-form content beginning April 2021. He's been getting more personal with his work recently. He wrote and produced a short film called Loser. He says it's about fear, about not going after what you really want. The story of two friends who meet in elementary school and over the course of decades fall secretly in love. You can find updates on Bobby's short film Loser on his Instagram account at Bobby underscore Robert underscore zero five. The show today has been brought to you by an earth monster standing in a closet talking to himself. And I do so appreciate you listening. Please do not forget to subscribe to the show, write us a review, and if you don't have any time, then at least rate us with five stars. It is helping us find an audience. I want to thank everyone who has already written us reviews. I am reading them, and I appreciate it so much. If you have a necessary delusion of your own and you would like to share it, then please reach out to me on Instagram at yesmatthew or email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, it just costs $1.43. Send us $1.43 on Venmo to at your necessary delusion to show your love. I want to thank my friend Bobby for sharing such a personal story today. Bobby, I hope that we will hear you again with more delusions in future episodes. I want to thank RyanFine.com. Click on custom songs. Marcus Silverman for being our necessarily delusional shrink. And Paola Monterde, the love of my life. Thank you for listening to me talk about necessary delusions so often. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week for a story that I'm calling Tenacious Drinker. My father was a workaholic with, you know, a bit of a temper and was not one to spare the rod. And so for years, I was just kind of just like a pinball of like unchecked emotions and impulses and being like, let me talk you into going out and getting hospital drunk with me tonight to a point where it's going to be dangerous for both of us. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Say-